16 or 17 years old and I was a volunteer for the League for Human Rights in the neighborhood, which is from the ADL of Canada. I remember you coming in to give a talk to us uh, in 1981. So, so David is going to speak to us on anti-Zionism and the UN Human Rights Council. Uh, David teaches immigration and refugee law at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. He's the co-chair of the Canadian Helsinki Watch Group, and he's the legal coordinator for the Canadian section of Amnesty International, and he also has a private practice in refugee, immigration, and human rights law in uh, Winnipeg. He previously was a teacher or lecturer at McGill University. He worked with Amnesty International in various uh, capacities. Um, he held positions with the Canadian Jewish Congress and he was a special assistant to the uh, Solicitor General of Canada, and he was a law clerk to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, his education, he studied at the University of Manitoba, he went on to study at Princeton and Oxford, and at Oxford he got his legal education. He's published widely uh, on issues of human rights uh, internationally. He wrote a book with Susan uh, Charnoff, about justice delayed Nazi war criminals in Canada. That was a very important book in the Canadian context to look at how uh, Nazi war criminals immigrated to Canada and to other countries. It was actually a point where this issue, it, it was sort of becoming a more widely known issue and uh, David Mattis was at the forefront of that, creating that type of awareness. He wrote a book in 89 called The Sanctuary Trial. In 1994 he wrote a book called No More the battle against human rights violations, uh, and so on. Uh, he's won many awards recently. He, he received an honorary PhD. I just read about this at Ben Green University. He's won all sorts of awards, he, awards uh, throughout the world. He's the International Commission of Jur Juris Walter Tarpolsky Human Rights Award, the Asian Pacific Human Rights Watch Charitable Trust Guardian and Justice Award, the Benebrith uh, Canada Presidential uh, citation, and uh, the list goes on and on. He, he won an award as outstanding achievement from the Manitoba the province of Manitoba's Association for uh, Rights and Liberties, and also in 1992, the important uh, Governor General's Confederation Award of Canada. So it's really an honor and a privilege to thank you for schlepping all the way from the middle of Canada to here. And, uh, thank you.
Six of them dealt with Israel, and, and seven were directed to all other countries in thematic issues, and, and no two other sessions that had a common country or theme. As of March 2010, from its start in the council has passed uh, 33 country resolutions. 27 of them dealt with the Israel condemned. Uh, so more than 80% of the resolutions dealt with Israel. There's been no resolutions on China, Syria, Hezbollah, Hamas, Iran, Zimbabwe, Equatorial Guinea, Cuba, Libya, Chechnya. One could go on. There was a resolution on Sudan, but it praised Sudan for its human rights progress. Uh, there was a resolution on Somalia all of the technical assistance. Besides Israel, only Burma and North Korea were actually criticized in resolutions for the human rights records. Now, uh, the, uh, the Human Rights Council, as I say, was created in 2006, and it preceded the commission, uh, which uh, was abolished in 2006. And the commission also, in its own way, was fixated on, on Israel. Uh, and and it was this kind of fixation that led to its abolition and replacement by the Council. The, the General Assembly resolution which abolished the Commission and created the Council said, and I'm quoting for the resolution, the importance of ensuring universality, objectivity, and non-selectivity in the considerations of human rights issues and the elimination of double standards and politicization. Of course, the prime suspect in the charge of politicization was the, the fixation on Israel. The Commission itself had uh, a similar sort of agenda, uh, one uh, agenda item on Israel and one agenda item on all the other countries in the rest of the world. The uh, Commission also had a disproportionate number of resolutions on uh, Israel, although it wasn't 80%, it was one-third, but even that was, of course, quite a lot. The, uh, the Commission also had uh, special sessions in Israel, but way fewer, not, not nowhere near <coughs> the Congress had. So what we've seen uh, is the commission was abolished because of its double standards, politicization, and it's been replaced by a council, which has turned out to be worse than the commission. With the commission, Israel was the world's worst human rights violator. With the council, Israel has become virtually the only human rights violator. Now, if we go back into the history of the Commission and its uh, initiation at, at the uh, UN, uh, when it started off, the Commission was dealing only with standards and not with countries. Uh, and for most of its life, that's what it did. It was just uh, developing human rights standards. It first got into countries with Chile uh, and Pinochet and, 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 and the coup there. It, it, its second country of focus was South Africa, and the third was Israel. Uh, and uh, the, the, the attention that the Commission gave to Israel uh, from the beginning uh, was uh, that it focused on Israel was always disproportionate. But to a certain extent, it was at least diluted by attention on other countries. And there were, as time went on, more and more countries that the Commission focused on. But what we see with the Council is a reverse trend. Uh, that, uh, when the, the commission was replaced by the council, uh, the, the country-focused mechanisms, the rapporteurs, the working groups, the uh, special representatives, and so on, were at least initially carried forward. 
but over time, uh, in the council, uh, they're slowly uh, disappearing, leaving uh, Israel more and more isolated. In June 2007, uh, the Special Rapporteur on Belarus and Cuba uh, were discontinued. Although there was no noticeable improvement in the human rights record of either to justify the continuation. The old uh, commission had something called the 1503 procedure. 1503 is the number of resolution of the Economic and Social Council which created the procedure. And it's basically an in-camera or uh, non-public procedure considering human rights violations in particular countries. The countries are listed, but not the, the considerations themselves uh, are not public. And in March 2007, the council decided to discontinue creation of this procedure for both Uzbekistan and Iran. And again, there was no improvement in the human rights situation of either of these countries to justify this discontinuation. Uh, in December 2007, at the time of the uh, genocide in Darfur, the uh, Council ended the mandate of the group of experts on the human rights situation in Darfur. In uh, March 2008, the Council ended the mandate of the independent expert on the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, despite the awful human rights uh, situation there. So, so what we have is a uh, kind of uh, more isolated focus uh, in the council than uh, in the commission uh, on Israel. Now, the uh, charges of human rights violation uh, in Israel, um, many of them, in my view, are uh, bogus, phony charges, both in law and fact, and I've written whole book on the issue, which is called Aftershock, Anti-Zionism, Anti-Semitism. But I don't want to get into that issue here. Uh, and and uh, the only point I would make here is uh, that one form of discrimination is selective prosecution. And so if, for instance, blacks are prosecuted for murder but not whites, it's no answer to the charge of discrimination that this or that black accused was in fact guilty. Whatever one thinks of the charges of human rights abuses made against Israel, even if you believe them all, the fact that the Jewish state is accused virtually alone has to raise concerns of discrimination. The, um, so, what's going on here? Uh, why is this happening? Well, one of the innovations we've got with the Human Rights Council is uh, the universal periodic review. And uh, the uh, universal periodic review uh, is, is something new with the Council, but it has its own problems. Uh, what it does uh, is uh, it reviews the human rights records of all countries in the UN at the pace of 16 countries a session. And the review started in 2008, and the council has three sessions a year. So worked, uh, over four years, we get all 192 countries of the UN covered. Now, the review itself is not that great. I've actually been at it a couple of times. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I go to the, the Human Rights Council quite regularly. Uh, the, the review is conducted by the council itself and a working group composed of all member states of the council, observer states. That's to say everybody else can participate in the review. The duration of the review for each country in the working group is three hours. Uh, the review is an interactive dialogue. Uh, during uh, those three hours, the subject of reviews responds to interventions. And 
uh, given the time allowed for the response, uh, and the chair limits interventions to two minutes, uh, that means 60 states can fit in. And it didn't take long before girls violators figured out how to game the system. They lined up their friends or those they could bully to register to speak during the two hours, chewing up the time with praise or even justification for the violations. And since the pool of potential speakers includes the full UN membership, three hours became uh, quickly consumed with organized filibuster. The very label review is misleading because the review produces no evaluation or assessment. Uh, no recommendations, observations, or statements of concern. All that happens is that some states make recommendations to the state subject to the review, which the state under consideration can uh, adopt or, or reject. Now, in, in isolation, uh, the universal periodic review uh, <coughs> is better than nothing, uh, in, in an improvement over what existed in the commission. But one cannot look at it in isolation because it's become an excuse for the, uh, the, the destruction of the standalone country mechanisms. Uh, for other countries, they say, we do not need a rapporteur on, on, on uh, Iran or a working group on the Congo because everything's done in the Universal Periodic Review. And this logic seems to work, uh, sadly, for virtually every country except uh, for Israel uh, the, uh, and a special mechanism on Israel. The, uh, now, we can see what's happening. We can see the distortion, but uh, what's creating the distortion? Uh, and it's got to do with the structure uh, of the mechanism. Uh, when when you're, you're uh, dealing with, I would say, human rights violations, generally, uh, that what you have to look at is standards uh, or, or principles, the application of these standards to the facts of the case and the mechanisms which are in place to uh, apply the, the standards to the facts. Uh, a functioning uh, human rights system would have good principles, good applications and good mechanisms. Uh, and, and human rights abusers go at all three. Uh, they distort the standards, they mis uh, misapply the standards and, and, and they manipulate the mechanisms. And the problem, uh, one, can, one can do this in, in a sort of hierarchical way. And, and at the top of the uh, hierarchy is the mechanisms, because malfunctioning mechanisms uh, ruin the whole system. Uh, I mean, if it functions, if the mechanisms malfunction, then the uh, standards get very easily misstated and misapplied. And, and, and that's the, the problem we have uh, at the UN. We've got, uh, I mean, we've got misstated standards and misapplied standards, but we have uh, a uh, distorted mechanism. Uh, a, a crooked man walks a crooked mile. Unfair trials produce unjust verdicts. Fraudulent elections lead to, uh, to bad governments. Poor results are not just a regrettable consequence of poor institutions. Institutions are perverted, perverted in order to produce twisted results. The means creates the end. What we've got with the Human Rights Council is, in, in effect, a Human Rights Violators Council. Uh, I mean, the council is deciding on human rights issues the way you would expect Wall Street speculators to decide on financial regulation, the oil industry to decide on environmental controls, and the tobacco industry to decide on advertising restrictions. Now, why is this happening? Well, 
I think we have to we have to look at how the Human Rights Council is constructed. What's its membership? What's its voting? And in a nutshell, uh, uh, there's a little bit. Well, there's there's more to it than this, but in a nutshell, there's one fact that you should know. The Council is controlled by the Organization of Islamic Conference States. Now, when I say they're controlled, I don't mean that they pull the strings behind the scenes or they manipulate it in some way, uh, uh, or they manipulate the members of the Council. The control is a lot more direct than that. Because of the same voting structure of the Council, the Conference States control now in the controlled since its inception, the majority of votes. The membership of the council is 47 states. The geographic distribution is Africa 13, Asia 13, Eastern uh, Europe 6, Latin America and the Caribbean 8, and Western Europe another 7. The Organization of Islamic Conference states after the first election in 2006 had 16 members on the council, with the majority in the Asian region and the African region, Asia 7, Africa 9. These two regions together, counting 26 states, had a majority in the council. Therefore, the OIC controlled the council once there was regional block voting, as there is. The story was the same after the 2007 election. 14 states uh, uh, <coughs> for election in 2007. Well, I, I'm not going to read you all this. I actually, in my written paper, I have every state uh, from the OIC that was defeated quit and because there's elections every year. But but the bottom line every year is that although there's a turnover in, in the council and in the membership, every year from 2000 and since its inception to the present, the OIC had a majority of members in both the Asian and African bloc, the Asian and African bloc, uh, together form a majority of the council and with bloc voting it, it means uh, they control. Now, the uh, the fact that the OIC controls the council is itself remarkable. I mean, there are uh, 1.5 Muslims on the planet, but there's two uh, 1.5 billion Muslims on the planet, but there's two billion Christians. There's, but uh, there's no organization of Christian conference states. And even if there were, uh, despite the greater Christian numbers, the odd way the council was constructed would still mean that the organization of the Islamic conference states would hold sway. Now, when you think about the way the council is voting, and, and you look at who's voting, imagine what would happen if instead of there being 57 Islamic states and one Jewish state, there were 57 Jewish states and one Islamic state. Uh, you, you can get an idea of, of what the difference might be uh, um, council. Now, the, the Organization of Islamic Conference States is not, like some intergovernmental organizations, uh, a meeting facilitator. Uh, it's an organization with a whole host of positions, not least on Israel. And, and you can go to the website and see them. The chart of the organization has these provisions. Uh, it says, we, the member states, the organization of the Islamic Conference, determine to support the struggle of the Palestinian people who are presently under foreign occupation and to empower them to maintain their inalienable rights, including the right to self-determination, and to establish their sovereign state without goods or sheriff as its capital while safeguarding its historic and Islamic character and the holy places therein. Uh, Al-Quds al-Sharif uh, is the Islamic name, for, or the Ara Arabic name for uh, Jerusalem. Uh, 
Uh, and then it says objectives and principles. Article 1. The objective of the organization of the Islamic Congress shall be to support and empower the Palestinian uh, people to exercise the right to self-determination and establish a sovereign state without goods or sheriff as its capital, while self-safeguarding its historic and Islamic character as well as the holy places therein. The Charter of the OIC allocates one post of Assistant Secretary General to the cause of Al-Quds al-Sharif in Palestine with the understanding that the state of Palestine shall designate its candidate. Uh, and that is the only Assistant Secretary General dedicated to a specific cause. So once the OIC controls the Council, those elements of the Charter of the OIC become the position of the Council. Um, and uh, so what we see is that agenda in the Council. But it isn't just the OIC, that, uh, the Organization of Islamic Conference, that is voting one way, everybody voting the else, uh, every, everybody uh, else voting some other way. In fact, we get many other states besides the OIC uh, voting against Israel, particularly other violated states. The, um, and uh, what's happened it is a, uh, a trade-off. Um, the uh, violator states have negotiated deals with the OIC uh, of immunity from the OIC to their violations in exchange for anti-Israel votes and rhetoric. The, uh, because I go to the council a lot, uh, I, I sort of know what's going on uh, informally as, as well as formally. And, so uh, one of the things I saw uh, when, when the council was just started was Cuba trying to get on the council. And I didn't, uh, I didn't talk to the Cubans, but I talked to uh, members of delegations of countries that were that the Cubans had talked to, because the Cubans were trying to get votes to get onto the council. And, and what Cuba was telling to these delegates was, vote for me to be a member of the council, and I will vote for what you want and say what you will want in the council. Uh, and uh, of course the states, that, uh, or the delegates to states that I talked to, uh, said no, they weren't going to do that. But Cuba did get on the council after having said that to many states. And lo and behold, Cuba is a vitriolic critic uh, of Israel. Uh, that it, indeed, uh, in many of the speeches I've heard, they have focused so much on Israel they forgot to uh, talk about the United States, which is their <laughs> favorite whipping boy. Uh, and so, what was going on there was payback. Uh, the uh, OIC voted for Cuba to get on the council and eventually abolished the special rapporteur mechanism, which I mentioned. And, uh, and, and in turn, uh, Cuba joined uh, the anti Zionist cause. And, uh, and Israel has no domestic or geopolitical interest for uh, Cuba. It, its interest is only uh, in, in the context of uh, getting immunity for itself in the Human Rights Council. And unfortunately, uh, what we see, and this, this is a, a, a regrettable feature of uh, a lot of uh, prejudice and discrimination and, in general, and anti-Zionism, and anti-Semitism in particular, is it cannot be contained. Uh, the, 
you attack one group, you end up attacking other groups. Because every minute spent on Israel in the Human Rights Council, every special session on Israel in the Human Rights Council, every resolution in the Human Rights Council on Israel, is, is time, effort, money not spent on, on Zimbabwe, on, on China, uh, on, on Chechnya, on Sudan, and so on. And so what you have is real victims suffering because of the obsession with Israel. Because if, if the uh, council were really doing its, its work, uh, it, it would um, help to focus attention on, on these serious human rights violations and help to re remove the violations. But in fact, uh, that's not happening. Now, uh, within the Organization of Islamic Conference States itself, I mean, there's a wide variety of states, and some of them are at war with Israel, some of them don't recognize Israel, but some of them have are, are, are uh, have trade relations with Israel, they recognize Israel, uh, and, and they are in relatively good terms. Uh, but the, the problem is that none of them has standing up for uh, the uh, right to self-determination of Jewish people as its first priority. And, and, and they too easily go along with those who have an anti-Zionist agenda because uh, they're uh, part of that um, block and, and, and they just let the people who are, are the most uh, determined uh, carry the block. They're just not prepared to stand up to So we've got a real uh, problem here uh, and uh, the, the question is what to do about it. Now, uh, some people take the position that the UN Human Rights Council is a lost cause and we should just forget about it and walk away. But that's not my view. Uh, the, uh, my view is we, it's broken and we should try to fix it. Whether it can be fixed is, is perhaps a, a good question, but I certainly think it's worth the effort. Uh, I think we have to remember that the UN Human Rights System, uh, not only the standards but the mechanisms, were a legacy of the Holocaust. And we owe it to the victims of the Holocaust to keep that legacy alive and not to abandon it. The, uh, and, and there's a lot of uh, different ways one can at least pick away at the problem. Uh, one of the facets uh, of, the, of the problem uh, that makes the matter worse is, is that there's block voting, but Israel's not part of any block. Uh, so uh, what you've got uh, is Israel, in effect, not being able to participate in, in the discussions uh, about itself. Uh, the, I mean, uh, it's certainly not, uh, not a member of the council. As, as a, a member state of the UN, it can participate in some of the debates, but it doesn't get into the, the closed doors where strategy is being discussed and so on. The, um, this has been a long-standing problem. The obvious law uh, that, that Israel should form part of is, is the Asian bloc, because that's where all the Middle Eastern countries are, but the Middle Eastern countries that won't have Israel in the Asian bloc. Uh, the next uh, possible candidate is we are the Western European and others group. Uh, and eventually Israel was allowed into we in the UN in New York, but it's not allowed into we in uh, Geneva. And of course the UN Human Rights Council is in Geneva, so that poses a problem. The, uh, just this January, um, Israel became part of Just Hands. Uh, Just Hands is Japan, the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, 
which is not a blog, it's kind of a discussion group, but at least it's, it's, it's a step in the right direction. And so one way of at least coming to address this problem, I would suggest, is, is getting Israel to be part of we are. I've actually uh, tried to speak to uh, members of WEOG in Geneva to ask uh, to, to get Israel as part of WEOG, and I get a variety of responses, but uh, so far it, it hasn't happened. Um, uh, another uh, possibility is to uh, end block voting. Well, that's easier said than done, because if you look at the the resolution that sets up the Human Rights Council, it's set up by blocks. Uh, I mean, I gave you the numbers before, and those numbers are actually in the General Assembly resolution. The, the, um, the UN Human Rights Council is going through a five-year review. Uh, it started in 2006, so the five-year review is 2011. It's coming up soon. And there's already states have started. Uh, I was in Geneva about a month ago, and, and and the people in Geneva said they're, they're starting a working group now amongst the states to look at the, the, the Human Rights uh, Council. But I, I was also in Geneva earlier this year, and I was speaking to some delegates then, and they said, uh, trying to reform the Human Rights Council is not such a good idea, because when we try to reform the commission, we made matters worse rather than better. If we try to reform the council, it's going to be the same problem. I, I mean, we'll be doing everything we can just to keep it the way it is rather than making it worse. So it's, it's not clear, but uh, but anyhow, my perspective is at least to think about what we can try that can make things better. And one of the uh, one thing that might, things, might make things better is in-block voting. The trouble with in-block voting, though, is that uh, the European Union wants to vote as a block uh, because they see that as part of forming or perfecting the union itself. Uh, they want to have a common foreign policy. And, and so uh, they feel to be to be true to their ideals of Europe, they should be voting as a bloc. And then, of course, all the other blocs say, well, if Europe's going to vote as a bloc, why can't we vote as a bloc? And, and so uh, it, uh, it's, it's a conundrum. Uh, I suppose the answer is to stop Europe voting as a bloc, or to, or to get other states to say, well, we don't care if Europe's going to vote as a bloc, we won't. But it's, it's not an easy uh, conundrum to solve. Another solution, uh, in, in my view, would be uh, trying to pick away at, at, at individual states within the Organization of Islamic Conference States. As I say, they're not uniform. And, and some of them actually, uh, you know, I, I've talked, of course, also to, to, to delegates from these states, and some of them find uh, repugnant this kind of constant parade of anti-Israel stuff, but they go along because they get, they get more greed for not going along than than they would uh, from opposing it. But, but I think there are, within that group of 57 states, some that, that could, uh, well, of course, not all 57 part of the council at any one time, but uh, within the group of uh, 16 or 17 or 18 that are part of the council at any one time, some that could potentially be persuaded and certainly uh, worth uh, giving it a try. The, uh, there's some, uh, uh, I guess you could say things that uh, maybe not that easy to, to 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 do, but are worth at least articulating as desirable goals. One one thing I would suggest is changing the voting in the system so that uh, states. I mean, th th there are states which are members of the UN uh, Human Rights Council, and I read about it in the paper, uh, who don't recognize Israel, 
and yet they're voting against Israel behavior. Now, this is something uh, that I'm not really going to have much of a chance to elaborate. But, I mean, you know, why why is there all the criticism of Israel? I mean, it's coming from the OIC, but why does the OIC care? Uh, I mean, why is the OIC criticizing Israel? I mean, and, and why should the UN? Why why spend so much time and energy on this? Uh, and and the re answer to that is that. It's a continuation of the attacks on the existence of Israel by other means. Uh, this is not an attack on the Israeli human rights record. Uh, it, it's an attack. It's an attempt to delegitimize uh, Israel by making it a pariah state. Uh, and uh, the uh, and there are some states, obviously, who don't recognize Israel. That's what they want. And and. Uh, and, and they go about this voting against Israel not because they disapprove of this or that that Israel does. I mean, the last thing these enemy states would want is to make Israel a better functioning state. That's not their aim. Uh, the, the, their aim is, is to destroy Israel, and they do it uh, through a variety of means, but one of them is voting against Israel in, in, in the UN Human Rights Council. And so I would suggest one way of dealing with that problem is to say that states who do not recognize other states should not be voting on the human rights records of other states. Uh, the, uh, we could also, of course, try to change uh, the election of states and human rights council. I mean, it doesn't have to be that the organization of the United States have a majority of the human rights council. I mean, the Asian and African bloc have but you don't always have to have a majority of OIC states in each of the Asian and African blocs, and so there could be more attention to who the general or which states the General Assembly uh, elects to the Human Rights Council. The, I, I think we could do more to uh, improve the universal periodic review so that it actually functions uh, as an effective human rights mechanism. Uh, I, I think uh, the UN, to a certain extent, is, is engaged with that because these diplomats do not. Well, I told you that there was this filibustering to uh, fill up the time, and, and, and the way that there's been an attempt to overcome it. Well, first to filibuster and then to overcome it. The states have been lining up the mic, and 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 they've been lining up like you know the session starts at ten, they'll get there at six in the morning, and uh, diplomats don't like getting up to go there at six in the morning. <laughs> Try to deal with that, uh, and there might be some way of dealing with that filibustering. Anyhow, I, I've got a whole bunch of uh, other recommendations here to, to deal with the mechanics of the UN Human Rights Council, but I think I'll stop there and just leave it open for questions and uh, comments. Uh, there's a problem, there's a potential solution, and, and in my view, it's, we should try to solve the problem. Thank you very much. So we'll open up for questions. Um, I'll start off by asking you, uh, I think it was just two days ago, First time in Canadian history they have not been voted onto the council. Would you explain the implications of that? And I think it's connected to the organization of Islamic uh, countries' distaste for Canada's support of Israel. Well, it, it, yes, uh, uh, could be, of course. Uh, the uh, I mean, uh, Canada lost the vote of the UN membership in the, uh, in the UN Security Council uh, against Portugal. And uh, of course, when you've got a, uh, and the vote is uh, in the General Assembly, and you've got a lot of states voting, they're voting for a variety of different motives. Uh, and uh, 
the, uh, for instance, uh, I, I read an interesting, uh, India voted against Canada in four uh, and uh, India didn't give any, any explanation of vote, didn't even admit it voted that way, they said it's a confidential vote. But the newspaper article said that they had voted that way because Portugal has supported the Indian position that India should be a permanent member of the Security Council and Canada has it. Uh, so you've got different countries uh, voting for different reasons. But uh, one, one item that caught my eye was a, uh, a statement of the uh, Canadian Arab Federation, uh, a, a public statement which, which was said, don't give Canada a security council seat. Uh, it said, and, and, uh, and he, he made a public comment, it's feared if Canada gains a seat in the UN Security Council, it may be used against Arabs and Muslims around the world. Uh, so what we've got is, and, and I should say that Canada has been particularly supportive uh, of Israel under the current government. Uh, and, and I've been to many sessions uh, of the UN where Israel is alone or virtually alone uh, in, in many resolutions. Uh, and Canada, uh, you know, it may get uh, Australia, it may get the United States, it may get Canada. In some situations, well, I shouldn't say the United States, because the United States is now a member of the Council. But in the previous, uh, but it was, it, its membership never coincided with Canada. Canada went off, the United States went on. Uh, so, uh, but Australia and Canada sometimes coincided. But I've been to sessions where there, and Israel, of course, is not a member of the, the, the Council. I've been to sessions where the only vote against an anti-Israel resolution is Canada. And uh, so obviously that caught the attention uh, of the anti-Zionists. And, and, and what we've got is uh, a uh, Security Council vote that was influenced by that consideration amongst others. Now, Security Council is not uh, the Human Rights Council, uh, but uh, it, it's problematic when you get a membership of the Security Council that is stacked according to those considerations. Because one issue that I know that's concerned to you, Charles, is the issue of uh, Iran. And, and one of the ways of dealing with Iran is a uh, through the International Criminal Court, prosecuting uh, the President, Ahmadinejad, for inciting to genocide. Now, uh, that can happen. Uh, Iran is not a party to the Rome Treaty, uh, uh, so the prosecutor in the court cannot take jurisdiction uh, because uh, Iran's a party, because it isn't. The only way that Iran can get before the court is if it's referred to the court by security council. Now that's happened to non one non-state party, to Sudan. Now, Sudan's not a state party, it's been referred by security council, and now its president is under indictment and a warrant of arrest, uh, al-Bashir. I have wanted the Security Council to refer uh, 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 the case of Ahmadinejad uh, to the International Criminal Court. And I actually went around to the P5, the Permanent Five Member Security Council in uh, Ottawa, the, the embassies of Britain, uh, of, uh, of uh, Russia, of uh, the United States. Um, uh, I'm intending to go to France, I haven't done that yet, and I'm definitely not intending to go to China. <laughs> I, don't, I won't explain here, but you know. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, but, and, and uh, if Canada had gone elected to the uh, Security Council, I would have said to them, take this issue to Security Council. Uh, uh, now I can. And, and obviously that's what the Canadian Arab Federation was thinking about as well. And, and, and so what we've got it, it, it is 
is a, is a battle at the UN which, which is grounded in, in, in an attempt to extinguish the rights of Jewish people. And it's a battle, in my view, that should be fought. Do the uh, proclamations issued by the HRC have teeth? Uh, do they, uh, other than their attempt to delegitimize Israel, what do they mean, considering the fact that most intelligent people know what a fraud this is? Well, the propaganda has its effect. Uh, and uh, I mean, obviously, it has more effect in closed societies than normal societies. And, and so uh, a lot of these uh, uh, tyrannies back home, they feed, uh, they justify their own uh, oppression uh, by. Uh, defending them, uh, their country against the enemy, Israel, and, and so on. I mean, uh, Iran, uh, which is uh, probably the most rapid anti Zionist state, uh, it, it, it justifies a lot of its repression that way. That, uh, it, it, they're accusing people of being spies of Israel, where uh, all, all they're doing is not going along with their regime, and, and, and so on. But you do get problems in, uh, in, in uh, Western states as well. For instance, uh, Alma, who's an Israeli general, uh, couldn't get off a plane in Britain because some uh, uh, anti-Zionist had gone to a magistrate and got, got an arrest warrant for him based on phony charges of war crimes. Uh, or there was an attempt in, in Belgium to uh, prosecute uh, Shamir uh, through universal jurisdiction. Uh, it, I mean, the whole system in Belgium also was, it was based on private prosecution without security screening. So you, you get these kind of anti-Zionist propagandists uh, trying to prosecute uh, Shamir, uh, and uh, there was, I think, Zippy Lidney at one time canceled a, a trip to Britain because of a, a problem with the fear of a similar problem that General Almont uh, faced. Uh, Spain, uh, there, there's an attempt to invoke universal jurisdiction to uh, it, it deal with some uh, alleged uh, criminals. And, and it, I mean, it's not just these uh, resolutions uh, in themselves, but what these resolutions do is they mandate other mechanisms. I mean, we have the special rapporteur who uh, 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 used to be Ziegler, and, uh, and, and now uh, I'm afraid it's somebody from my old alma mater, Princeton, uh, I should to say. But it was the Human Rights Council that mandated the, the Goldstone. The Goldstone uh, now, if you look at the mandate, the mandate's all wrong, and if you look at the report, the report's all wrong. But you have to go back, it comes from a council which itself is all wrong, which itself comes from the OIC. And then the Goldstone Commission produces all these detailed uh, accusations of war crimes, which then feed into these attempts at prosecution around the world. Or you could look at the General Assembly resolution that referred to the International Criminal Court, the Israel Security Barrier. Uh, I mean, again, the resolution itself was biased. The court, I mean, there was one of the judges, an Egyptian judge, who already uh, proclaimed on the issue got to the court and uh, refused to recuse himself. Uh, I mean, the court it, itself was problematic, the resolution was problematic, but behind it all is the General Assembly, which has this kind of, not as bad as the council, but still has this, this anti-Zionist impunity uh, trade-off and dynamic, and it leads to this court judgment, which now international law people say, you know, the wall is illegal, and, and, and there's all sorts of statements about why it's illegal that suggest other illegalities in Israel. So, 
I don't think you can say, oh, this is just a bunch of people uh, blowing hot air, let's forget about it. Absolutely not. Anybody else like to ask a question? I have a question for you. <clears throat> what action has to be taken uh, based on these resolutions? When, when these people stand up and say that Israel is in violation of human rights and these votes go through, at that point, what has to happen? Is, well, what's course, Israel's obligation? What's the, the rest of the world's obligation? Something like that? I mean, it depends on you know, every resolution that has to be read for its content to determine, sure. to, to determine what action uh, uh, is required. Some of it is just, uh, you know, the resolution setting up the goals on the commission. I mean, obviously, what had to happen was the goals of the commission had to be set up. Uh, or, or, I mean, there's lots of these investigations, actually. That the, the, they mandate the uh, uh, the UN to do this or to look into this, look into that. And, uh, so, so, so there's different reports that, that get generated. Which Does it have the authority to force Israel to to take take action? Well, there's no uh, there's no international police force. I mean, there's right. the UN peacekeeping operations, uh, <coughs> which are set up by the Security Council. The Human Rights Council can't set up uh, it can't hire police. I, uh, what it does, though, it is in, in order to get uh, a, a prosecution and conviction, uh, you need police, you need courts, and you need standards. And, and so what it does is it distorts standards and, and, and misapplies uh, the, the facts. So it creates this kind of background of battle gap. Uh, and of course, the people who believe in it are not just in Iran. I mean, they're all uh, all over the world that buy into this agenda. Uh, and, and so they use that, it becomes fodder and, and ammunition uh, to use establishment. They don't necessarily believe it, but they can use it to justify their actions for maybe doing other things. Um, well, I'd like to just caution you there. Uh, the, the first victims of hate propaganda uh, are the people who use it. Uh, I would say most people who act anti-Semitically are anti-Semites, are anti-Semites. They're, they're not just using it for some other purpose. Yeah, I have just such a short remark in regard to uh, universal periodic review mechanism, which you mentioned. Uh, yesterday I read the final report of the working group for UPR on Iran from 2009. And what was quite shocking, not quite, very shocking to me was that not once in the whole document, in the whole report, which is actually an official outcome of the whole procedure, uh, there is not once a word anti-Semitism used. So this is also an evidence that not only Islamic countries, but also European Western countries, they lack the courage, I don't know, they lack something to mention anti-Semitism, which is a part of uh, official policy in Iran. So. Yeah, I, I actually went to the UN Human Rights Council for the Universal Periodic Review Working Group uh, uh, on Iran and Iraq, because I was interested in both. Uh, and, uh, and I, I mean, I went, uh, I went twice. Once it was for Iran and Iraq, and once it was for China. Uh, the, uh, it, as it turned out, I think Israel and Canada were there when I was there. Uh, they were going through the same procedure when I was there by coincidence. But, uh, as I mentioned in my talk, 
if you look at those reports, they're not report, there's no independent evaluation or assessment. It's just a report of what the states that lined up at the mic at the time happened to mm -hmm. say. Uh, and, and then, you know, <laughs> you see, this is a, another thing we have to be aware of, that the human rights violators have been ingenious in manipulating the system. Uh, I mean, Cuba uh, has been fanatical at, at, at gaming the system. I, I mean, this whole business of lining up the mics, the filibuster came from Cuba. Uh, and, uh, the, uh, and, and I think that the people who are dedicated to the promotion of human rights should show the same intensity of effort and ingenuity as the people that uh, intend on violating human rights are, are, are doing. Uh, and, and of course, so, you know, once well, Cuba figured that out, Iran wasn't far behind, so, uh, and uh, Iran is lining up its friends, and so you're getting a report of the debate, and the debate, and, and who's participating? It's, it's every state that Iran can line up to speak on the issue, uh, and, and many of them are, their speech is, I'd like to commend Iran for its efforts to promote human rights, and, and, and I suggest other countries should emulate its behavior, uh, and, and I mean, this is the, the kind of speech that Iran wanted, and then the University Periodic uh, uh, Universal Periodic Review produces. Now, as I say, you know, in isolation, I mean, if that's all that was going on, uh, better that than nothing. Because better uh, Iran should have to go through the effort and produce a bunch of, of, of nonsense and, and it's patent nonsense uh, than to be complete silence over the situation. At least we, uh, we can see how ridiculous their, their position is. Uh, but the problem is that the Universal Periodic Review is being used as leverage to cut down on, on, the, on the real mechanisms that actually do something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mike? May I just add something? Um, I found in other reports, for example, on Norway and Sweden, I guess in Sweden, remarks about anti-Semitism. So, you know, if you compare anti-Semitism, I guess, in some Europe, or, and it was about Hungary, and Poland as well. So, I think the scale and the level of anti-Semitism in those countries, you cannot compare that. But still, there are countries who want to raise this issue um, in case of Poland, for example, and they forget to do the same uh, in case of Iran, so... Well, yeah, I mean, but they understand the whole political context you're talking about. There's often uh, an inverse correlation between the seriousness of the human rights violations and, and, and the manner in which they're reflected in the Human Rights Council. Uh, the, uh, my own view, I mean, if the, if the UN were working in a, in a sensible way, the UN would focus on, on human rights situations in uh, countries that do not have effective internal mechanisms to deal with human rights violations. Uh, matters should become, of, become a matter of international concern only when uh, the national system cannot deal with them. And so, I mean, I wouldn't say that Israel's got a perfect record, but I would say that Israel can deal with its own problems because it's got an independent judiciary, it's got a democratic parliament, it's got an independent judiciary, and there's no need for the international system to deal with Israel, or Sweden, or Norway, uh, or Canada. Uh, but there's a big need for the international system to deal with Iran, China, Burma, or Korea, because they internally cannot deal with their problems, and, and only we who are outside can. But it becomes a reverse. What we see in the UN human rights system is the violators get impunity because of this kind of negotiation, whereas the states that do have effective internal mechanisms end up uh, 
amongst themselves, criticizing each other as a way of setting an example uh, so that in the hopes that the violators will take the system seriously. But of course, that doesn't happen, and we just get this perverse, uh, converse <coughs> result. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I have two remarks uh, regarding this speech. Um, first of all, um, I think uh, you mentioned that uh, as a side effect, uh, the real victims suffering uh, of uh, human rights violation um, are not a subject of uh, the only allegations. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is um, a very important point because uh, you have um, the nations which uh, make the profit of this are mostly the nations who are in charge of um, blaming Israel for human rights violations. And, so. and I guess uh, this must be more uh, put into public discourse. And this is uh, also leading to my second point, that you talked about strategies more in a I'd say, diplomatic way, something like that. And I guess, um, you know, Israel is blamed for about, since 75 or something like that from, uh, from the UN uh, regarding human rights violations. And in terms of public discourse, you know, it's, it's the opinion of, of, especially in Europe, of the people um, as, uh, that Israel is clearly delegitimizing, de de you know? That it's, um, and I guess someone has to do, and, and especially when it comes, it's, it's proven by the UN. The UN has still in Europe has a very good name, still, and um, if it's got the seal of the UN, it's, no one asks about how uh, the, how the result uh, will um, how 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 the, uh, how this uh, uh, proceeds, and um, so I guess um, it's not only on the uh, strategic or diplomatic level where someone should take action, but uh, mainly uh, on the public discourse level. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, the uh, and I mean I, I'm here. I'm not the UN. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and and I speak at a lot of uh, public events. Yes. And, I, and I've you know I've written a book on the issue. And yes. and, and, I, and I'm trying to talk everywhere about it uh, as much as I can. Uh, and and especially in democratic states, uh, they're going to be influenced by their electorate. If you if you uh, I, I, uh, and, and the problem isn't just in the territories, uh, as you say, there, uh, there is uh, all too much in, in, in Europe and elsewhere uh, the, uh, for, for these points of view, and, and, and it's a battle that has to be fought everywhere. Uh, but I, I guess, uh, you know, I have a tendency, uh, and maybe it's a kind of masochistic tendency, is, is go, for, go for the worst. Uh, I mean, what's what's the most difficult task you can possibly imagine in dealing with anti-Zionism? I mean, it's reforming the human rights council. Mm -hmm. So, th so that's 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 where I, that's where I grab it. Uh, and, and, and different, you know, different people have different approaches. Uh, but I, I I would say absolutely right. You know, well, if, I, if I may just add to what Holger was saying, I think you know, standing in the academy. Um, you know, you, you touch on the internal mechanisms and, and politics of the, the United Nations and other international organizations. 
But you know, we have, in a sense, within the academy and among Western intellectuals, you have a social movement sweeping the Middle East, which is reactionary, which is not only genocidal, it's anti-Semitism, it's homophobic, it's sexist, it wants to do away with religious pluralism, it wants to do away with citizenship, as we understand it. Everybody in the West believes, whether you're right wing or left wing, in being you know, equal under one legal system. So here's a social movement which is diametrically opposed to it. And we have many people in the academy, intellectuals, public intellectuals, who are silent and acquiescing to this challenge to democracy. And in fact, paint people who are trying to deal with it, to understand it, as being intellectuals, apologists for Zionists. So there's a, there's a malaise, I think, even among intellectuals that is, uh, I find, extraordinarily disturbing. So just the block vote, you know, that, I can almost understand Iran, I can understand the organization of Islamic countries. I can't understand people like Judith Butler, who's a Jewish feminist who's respected all over the world, who will say that Hezbollah, Hezbollah and Hamas should be seen as the progressive left. And she's not alone. She's, the, you know, she's, a, she's a darling of progressive intellectuals in Europe and in North America. So I mean, what, from your position, what's going on? So, well, I mean, these, of course, are not isolated phenomena. They, uh, they develop together and they reinforce each other. I mean, it's, uh, what you, what's going on is anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Uh, and uh, it manifests itself in different ways, in different contexts. Uh, the, uh, it, in, in, the, in academia, it, it manifests itself in academic discourse. In the UN, it manifests itself in votes, in resolutions, in special sessions. But uh, you know, uh, where does anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism come from? Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean well, what you've got is uh, bigotry. Anti-anti-Semitism is uh, got, uh, comes from, uh, it, it's people who reject others. Uh, the uh, uh, it's existed since the history. changes, the vocabulary changes, uh, but it's, it's basically 
and, and to a certain extent, what you're dealing with is human nature. I mean, hatred is a basic human human emotion. It's it, it's always been with us and always will be with us. Uh, and, and and we're not going to abolish hatred. Uh, so we're just going to see it in different guises and forms and, and vocabulary as, as as the social context of a declaration. Not very optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say though that there's nothing that can be done about it because even though uh, I mean there are certain basic problems that are the foundation of all this, the harm they wreak ebbs and flows, and you know it, it, it reached the it, it pinnacle of the Holocaust. But we're not now uh, living a Holocaust, and, and and I think we have the capacity to combat the problem. Uh, in, in many ways, much more of a capacity now than we did then. And, and there are things that can be done. And, and, and uh, I certainly do not have a counsel to spare, absolutely not. I was just going to ask you your opinion. I, I know the United States uh, say it's not a member of the uh, commission at this time, but what kind of. Actually, it is. It wasn't before, but now it is. Uh, okay, that, that, I'm sorry. What kind of influence uh, does the United States have, or does the United States want to exert uh, on the OIC or, or the other Western democracies? Uh, it may be low on our priority of things we want to accomplish at the UN, but what do you what do you see happening, and has there been uh, any change since uh, our new administration, the Obama administration? Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's there, uh, and and uh, the, the U.S. was not a member of the OIC. Uh, it, it was not a member of the, uh, the, the uh, Human Rights Council under the Bush administration because they didn't want to be. Uh, and in theory, even if you're not a member, as an observer state, you can show up and speak, and many do. But the U.S. wouldn't do that. Uh, they sent somebody there, a junior uh, officer, a foreign affairs officer, to take notes, and that was it. But because uh, the way it, it, the uh, the organization, the room is organized. It's member states with their country cards are in the inner circle and all other states in the outer circle. So there is a kind of a desk for the United States. But the junior officer in the Bush administration wouldn't even sit at the desk. She would sit behind the desk in a, in a separate chair just taking notes. Now, of course, the UN, the UN is there uh, and it's participating in the debates. And, and I, I've met with the U.S. Commission uh, 